Right, for the outline this morning, you need one of those. So uh, it, it should be around you, near you somewhere. Um, I'm, I'm going to refer to that from time to time. It's all on there. Nothing coming up on the screen. And I will say to those of you that are listening online out there somewhere that you have already been emailed one of these this morning. So you should be able to access it on your email. So please have that in front of you. And on the inside, we're going to start with our introduction. Well, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 1 to 7, is one of those, well, the most beautiful, breathtaking passage of Scripture. You will know as you look at verses 4 to 7, the love is verses. They are the most frequently quoted verses by Christians and non-Christians alike from the Bible. Those words, verses 4 to 7, they appear on millions of hallmark cards. It is the passage that is most frequently requested at weddings. So it might come as a little surprise to you this morning that the passage is actually a loving rebuke from the Apostle Paul to the Corinthian church. When we put this passage into its rightful context, we discover that it's a beautiful, loving rebuke from the apostle to the Corinthian church. Let me take you therefore to my first heading on your outline, which is a context of unlove. A context of unlove. The, the Corinthian church was an enormously privileged church. The church in Corinth had been planted by the Apostle Paul. It had been nurtured by the Apostle Paul. The church had had some of the finest preachers and teachers that there was to be had. They had Paul, they had Timothy, they had Titus, they had Silas, they had Aquila, they had Priscilla, they had even the Apostle Peter. They had all the greatest teachers. In addition to that, the church was gifted. On your outline, take a look at 1 Corinthians chapter 5, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 5. Listen to what he says about the church. For in him you have been enriched in every way with all kinds of speech and with all knowledge. Go down to verse 7. Therefore, he says to them, you do not lack any spiritual gift as you eagerly await for the Lord Jesus Christ to be revealed. This church lacked no spiritual gift. And if you were to flick over to 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and 9, we also discover that the church in Corinth did not lack in financial resources. I think that's a pretty good picture of BBC. We have been in existence for over 30 years. The history of this church is that it's always had very good, solid, Bible, faithful teaching. We do not lack in any of the spiritual gifts that we need. And we are not lacking in financial resources. So we should be able to say with the Apostle Paul chapter 1 verse 4, we should be able to say we thank God for His immense graces that He has given us. I want to ask you this morning, BBC, are you thankful for the immense 
graces and privileges that He has given to us here at BBC. Are we thankful? Are you thankful? But this church was lacking in one thing, wasn't it? It was lacking in? In love. You see, the church was diseased with disunity and division as each of the people were trying to align themselves with their favorite preacher-teacher. Chapter 1, verse 10. Despite their spiritual and physical privileges or earthly privileges, Paul, in chapter 3, he actually calls this church infantile. He calls them worldly because jealousy and envy was running through their veins. And when it came to using... When it came to using their spiritual gifts, look at what Paul says in verses 1, 2, and 3 of 1 Corinthians 13. If I speak in tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong and a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give them over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. In other words, this gifted Corinthian church were using their spiritual gifts in an unloving way. Now this is not the sermon to debate whether all the gifts in the New Testament are in operation today. But I will tell you this, they were in full operation in Corinth. The gift of tongues, the gift of interpretation of tongues and languages, the gift of healing, the gift of prophecy, and so on and so on and so on. The problem here is not that the Corinthian Christians weren't using their gifts. They were, man, were they using them? They were full on. But they were using them in the wrong way. I think today... The problem is the other way around. Most pastors and teachers and leaders of churches that you speak to will tell you, our problem is not, not that everybody wants to serve. Our problem is what? There's not enough people to serve. The problem that we find very often today is from members of a church, people committed to a church, or so-called committed, attending a church, adhere to a church, maybe regulars, but do not use their gifts to serve the church. So let me read this statement to you. It is unloving to use your gifts in the wrong way, and it's also unloving not to use your gifts for the sake of the body. Can I say that again? It is unloving to use your gifts in the wrong way, but it's also unloving not to use your gifts in the body of Christ. And the question we've got to ask ourselves this morning is this. Is this a loving rebuke that we need to hear? Is this a loving rebuke that you need to hear this morning? Are we using our gifts in the wrong way? Or are we not using our gifts at all? Are you, you, are you using your gifts in the wrong way? Are you using your gifts at all? No matter what gift we have, no matter what talent we have, no matter what ability we have, whether it's the gift of tongues, interpretation of tongues, whether it's healing, great faith, administration, leadership, Bible knowledge, preaching, teaching, giving, and so on and so on, if we, if we do not use those gifts in love, we are nothing, we gain nothing, 
It's nothing. This is the loving rebuke from the Apostle Paul in verses 1 to 3. The Corinthians were using their gifts for their own vanity. They were using them to serve themselves instead of serving others. Using your gifts can be done for people to look at you instead of looking at Christ. You can use your gifts in a way that you're hoping that people will thank God for you instead of thanking God for Christ. If you don't use your gifts and talents, it's unloving because your gifts and talents are needed for the body of Christ. But, but we can also use our gifts in such a way that is unloving. But here's the problem. We can't see the motivation, can we? We cannot see into each other's hearts to see why we are serving. There are times when somebody comes along and they're that, you know, bigger than life, look at me sort of gift shower. You can spot them a mile off, right? And we all, we all duck. But, but you cannot see into the hearts of people when they serve in tea and coffee. You can't see into the heart of Carol when she serves on Hub. You can't see into the heart when the team is serving in creche or uh, the kids' packs or, or pod or Hub or connect groups or board or whatever it is, the maintenance team. We don't see into the heart of Stuart when he serves on the maintenance team. You cannot see the heart of my motivation or the motivation of my heart when I stand up here and preach to you, can you? You can't see that. See, you can serve... Because you have to. You can serve. Well, it's expected. Well, no one else is serving. You can serve unwillingly. You can serve begrudgingly. You can also serve in such a way that deep inside you just want people to think how wonderful you are. You can also serve because you think that somehow that's the thing that is holding your relationship with God together. And what I want to do this morning, I just simply want to ask you and me and us to examine our hearts thoroughly. And ask yourself this, what self-reasons are you giving why you don't serve? If you're someone that does not serve in the body of Christ, just ask yourself, what's the reason? What self-reasons are you giving? And if you are serving, ask yourself the question, why are you serving? What's your motive? Now, please understand, when I ask you to examine your heart with me, I, we're not looking for absolute purity of heart, are we? I mean, as Christians, we're saints, but we're also sinners, right? And, and there's always going to be a mixture of self-love wrapped up in all of our love for others, and we're fighting the flesh. But what I'm asking us to do is this. What's the dominant motive? What's the pattern of the heart? What's the on, mostly ongoing reason why you serve? I want to give you a, it's on the, I think it's on the outline. I want to give you the simplest definition of love I can give you. Here it comes. Love is the giving of oneself for the benefit of another. You hear that? that, that that's as good as it gets. The giving of oneself for the benefit of another. Isn't that what Jesus did? What did he do? He gave of himself for our benefit. There, there it is. So on your outline, you'll see two sentences, which I, I really want you to, to finish. I don't serve because, 
Finish that. I serve because. From the context of unlove, we therefore go to the context of loving one another in verses 4 to 7. When Paul starts off, love is kind, love is, love is, love is, love is not, and all that, it's, he's not talking about a wedding type of love. He's not talking about the love between a husband and a wife or a new husband, new wife, although that applies. He's not talking about a physical family love between a father and their sons, like we were talking about earlier, but it obviously applies. He's not talking about a general love that we have for all of mankind. It obviously applies. Here, listen. The love that Paul describes and unpacks for us in verses 4 to 7 is a definition of love, of what love should look like between believers. That's the context. A self-giving love for the benefit of my brothers and sisters in Christ is the hallmark of genuine faith. This love is about the love that we are to display between us between believers, between brothers and sisters in Christ. It's the hallmark of genuine faith. Have a look on your outline. 1 John chapter 4, verse 7. Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Do you see it? If you're loving like this, this is the evidence that you have been born again by the Spirit of God. Same, uh, same chapter, 1 John 4.20. We love because He first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister who they've seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And then you know that famous verse, don't you? John 13.35. By this all men will know that you are my disciples if you hate one another. Right? If you love one another. Do you realize this morning that the prima facie, if I may use those words, the prima facie evidence that you are born again by the Spirit of God, it's evidenced in your love for your brothers and sisters in Christ. Look at your outline, Romans 5. Why? Look at this, Romans 5.5. 5. And hope does not put us to shame. Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit whom He has given us. You realize that? When you put your faith in Jesus Christ, you are filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit fills you with the love of Christ. And that love is to be displayed primarily to the brothers and sisters in the body of Christ. You see, and if it's a love that's been poured into us by God, through His Spirit, because of faith in Jesus Christ. It's not, this is not an earthly love. It's not a natural love. It's a supernatural love. It's a gift of grace from a gracious God who did not hold back His Son for us. You see, what Paul is saying, he's saying to these Corinthians, your unlove, your unlove for one another is a grievous thing to the Holy Spirit because you have been filled with the Holy Spirit to love in increasing measure with the love of the Father. 
Love is a self-denial for the benefit of someone else. Now, what does this love look like? What does this love express to one another? What, 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 what's its practice? What's its shape? What's its form? What does it, what does it look like on the ground? What's, what's the sort of the, the hands and feet? And what Paul does, which is my focus, verses 4 to 7, is Paul nails down love in 15 aspects. 15. Some are in the positive, some are in the negative. And here's what I'm going to do. From these 15, and they're all on your outline, I have... I've made 10 love commitments. I've put them in a I choose and an I refuse. I choose and I refuse. Here are 10 love commitments that the people of God should make towards one another from this passage. Let me take you through the 10. Number one, because I love you, I choose to be patient and kind with you. Verse 4. Love is patient and love is kind. Patience means that I'm willing to be wronged by you and not retaliate. Love means, love being patient means I will not repay evil with evil and I will respond with blessing even if I'm sinned against. To, 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 to be kind is to be gentle. It means that I'm going to be gentle with you. I'm going to be thoughtful with you. I'm going to be good to you. I, because I love you, I choose to be patient and kind with you. Second statement. Because I love you, I choose to rejoice in the truth in your life. Verse 6. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Now this rejoicing in the truth is not a sort of personal, inward, insular rejoicing in some sort of doctrinal way around, I don't know, around, around, around the doctrine stuff. When he says rejoicing in the truth, it means I choose as a Christian to, to rejoice in the truth in you. When I see the truth lived in your life, when I see the truth displayed in your life, when, when I see the truth in your life, I rejoice. Here's how John puts it. 3 John, I don't think this is on the outline, but 3 John 3. It gave me great joy when some of the believers came and testified about your faithfulness to the truth, telling how you continue to walk in it. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. When we see Christians walking in the truth, holding the truth, loving the truth, obeying the truth, we rejoice, we celebrate, we, we, we affirm, we encourage. But if I'm going to rejoice in the truth in your life, I cannot rejoice if there's sin in your life, can I? I can't rejoice if things are a little bit wonky in your life. I cannot do that. I'm going to rejoice in the truth, but I'm going to be grieved if I see you not walking in the truth. Which leads into the third statement. Because I love you, I will protect you. Love protects. Love protects. The word protect has actually got an interesting little root. It's from the root roof. Not wolf, roof. The thing, the ceiling, like a ceiling. A, 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 a house has a roof or a ceiling and it's a form of protection. 
To protect each other means that we will warn each other when we see that we're going off the path. When we stray away from the truth. When we're inclined to go down sinful paths of temptation. We go after one another because we want to protect one another. To protect someone means that you, 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 you are willing to point out their blind spots and have other people point out your blind spots because we cannot always see what we need to see, right? Well, we, see, we, we think we see it all, but we don't. Listen to Galatians 6.1. He says, Brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently. But watch out for yourselves, or you may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the whole law of Christ. What's the law of Christ? It's the law of love. I think my wife is uh, in the crash team this morning, so I can say this. My, my wife, Belinda, has a wonderfully... Oh, no. She has a... Don't tell her I said this, okay? Um... <laughs> my wife does have a wonderfully penetrating statement for me when she sees that I'm walking away, when I'm deviating this way, when I'm wandering off, when I'm going into... When I start to get clever in my own eyes, she's got one statement that really pushes the button and she says, this will not end well for you. <laughs> it hurts, but I have to listen to it. I have to listen because she can see things in me that I, I can't see. So here's number four. Because I love you, I choose to see the best in you. Look at verse seven. Love always trusts and love always hopes. Now, biblical love is not blind. It's not naive. It's not undiscerning. But this is so important. But love with one another means that I choose to see the best in you. We choose to see the best in one another. Why? Because we are actually God's masterpieces, according to Ephesians 2.10. As a friend of mine sitting over there somewhere often says to me that we have to see each other, Kyle, in Christ. Especially when we sin against each other. I have to see Christ in you. Now, no pun intended, please trust me when I say this to you. It is so easy to get cynical about God's sheep. It is so easy to think the worst about God's sheep. It's so easy to think the worst about God's sheep, especially when they hurt you. But every brother and sister, even if they sin, even if they sin against you, they are a temple of the Holy Spirit. They are a precious child of a living Father who has redeemed us by, his, by the blood of His Son. And if we are in Christ, and if we have the Spirit, it means that by God's grace, brothers and sisters all have the capacity to continue growing in faith and love and hope. So when, when we say that love trusts, it means that we don't write each other off because we are hopeful in God that He's continuing to, to work in us. I love the statement I came across. It says, when belief is exhausted, then hope takes up the cause. When belief is exhausted, then hope takes up the cause. We are hopeful of change in one another. Because God is always at work in His people. That's what He said, right? 
that which I've started, I will finish. We start treating each other as if God's just sort of finished. He's just done with that Christian and he's wiped them off. God's always working in us. He's always shaping us. He's always sanctifying us. He's always sharpening us. Here's the thing though. He does it at whose pace? Yours, right? No, He does it at His pace. So we are patiently hopeful with one another because God is always patiently working in His children. Let me put it to you this way, a little bit more personally. When you, when you at times listen to how Christians talk about other Christians, it doesn't sound very hopeful, does it? Ever been in one of those conversations? Well, that Christian, they did it again. Man, are they ever going to learn? What a... Yeah, you finish it. Don't worry. To be trusting and hopeful in one another is to be trusting and hopeful in God that God ain't done with you yet and He ain't done with me yet. Right? Here's number five. Because I love you, I choose to persevere with you. And you can see the connection but, but love persevering means that, that Christian love for one another doesn't have an end. Did you know that? There is no limitation to your love. You never stop loving another brother or sister. I don't know if you've ever heard that awful statement between partners or that awful statement between spouses that are getting divorced or separated. That, that statement that goes, I have fallen out of love with you. We don't fall out of love with one another. Our love perseveres. It continues because it's the love of God where? In us. Five, I, because I love you, I choose. Right? There's, there's the first five. Let me give you the second five. We'll flip them into I refuse statements. Because I love you, verse four. Because I love you, verse four, I choose, sorry, because I love you, I refuse to envy you. Love does not envy. The other side of envy is jealousy. Someone said that jealousy is wanting what someone has you don't have, but envy is actually wishing they didn't even have it in the first place. If I refuse to be envious, then I want what is best for you. I want to see you flourish. I, I delight in the gifts that God has given to you, even if He hasn't given to me, because He's given those gifts to you in order to build up the body of Christ. I don't get all button twisted because you got it, I didn't get it, and God gave it to you, He didn't give it to me. To, 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 to not envy means that, that, you know what? Man, I delight when you're blessed. I delight when it's going well with you. I... I I delight when you, you succeed. I delight when God is using you in such a beautiful way. He might not be using me quite in the same way at this time. Number seven, I, because I love you, I refuse to be boastful and proud. Verse four, I refuse to be boastful and proud. Love does not boast, it is not proud. Which means I simply choose not to elevate myself above you. I don't think I'm better than you. I, I don't think that my gifts are more important than your gifts. And I got a gift that you haven't got that I think I'm better than you. 
Oh, if I've got a gift, I think I'm so wonderful because God's given it to me because I'm wonderful, right? I, I choose not to be superior over you. I, I choose to not look down on you. I choose to put your needs above my own. And we've got to understand that love does not just affect actions, but it affects affections and attitudes. See, when I'm proud, I just look down on you over my flat nose and think that you are inferior to me. Because I love you, number eight, I refuse to treat you rudely. Rudely. Verse five, love does, does not dishonor, depending on your translation, love does not dishonor, but probably a better translation, love is not rude. Oh, that word rude. When was the last time you were rude to someone? It's an ugly word, hey? It's distasteful. It's a despicable word, rude. See, if we love each other, we, we make a decision, we choose to not treat each other indecently. We're not going to treat each other unthoughtfully. We're not going to treat each other harshly. Number nine, because I love you, I refuse to be self-seeking. Look at verse five. Love is not self-seeking. It sort of ties back into, into the sixth one. But when love is not self-seeking, it just means I, I, I don't put myself above you. It's not my interest above yours. It's not my needs above yours. And then number ten. I refuse to be easily angered and keep a record of your wrongs against me. Verse 5. Love is not easily angered and keeps no record of wrongs. So I, I, I want to choose not to be irritable with you. I want to choose not to be inconvenienced by you. I refuse to get easily upset when you sin against me. I'm not going to hold your sin against you. I mean, where on earth, brother and sister, would we be if God held our sins against us? If He kept the record of our sins, where would we be? I want to tell you very personally this morning how easy it is to hold on to sins that have been done against you and to nurse those wounds especially when the person hasn't even acknowledged it. To forgive is essentially not to hold the sin against another. Someone put it like this, said, forgiveness is not forgetting, it's what you do with remembering. That's a great line. Forgiveness is not forgetting, it's what you do with remembering. I've been preparing this message for weeks. In fact, it's probably been over a month since I started preparing this particular message. And it was a particular part in my preparation when the Lord decided that He was going to open my eyes to a few things. And what He showed me was that I really thought that I had forgiven someone and yet I was still holding their sin against them. And so what happened was that, 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 that in, this, in this process 
I thought that I had forgiven. But what it was is I demanded that the person actually acknowledge what they've done. And when they've acknowledged what they've done, then I will forgive them. And they haven't acknowledged, so I haven't forgiven. And I thought I had forgiven. What a mess. What a mess. But you see, what was happening was I'd actually keeping a record of, of wrong. And when the Spirit gets hold of you, it's painfully joyful. And it's painfully liberating at the same time. So, let me wrap up this way. Third heading is a context of loving application. You're probably wondering why we've gone back to paper this week, all right? And we haven't stuck with technology. Here's what I want you to do. I put it on paper this morning because I want you to take these 10 love commitments, these 10 love, because I love you, I choose, I love you, I refuse. I want you to take them home. I want you to tuck them in your Bible. I want you to put them into a quiet time. I want you to bring them before your heart and I want you to bring them before the Lord. And I just, all I can ask you is to do a thorough examination before the Lord and deal business with Him. I don't know about you, But this passage from Paul to the Corinthians was a loving rebuke and it hurt them and it hurts us because it exposes every single one of us. There is not one of us here who loves the way we ought, right? There's not one of us who doesn't wound others in different ways and there's not one of us that haven't received the wounds from other brothers and sisters. Have a look at that verse in Proverbs 27 verse 6 where the writer says, Wounds from a friend can be trusted but an enemy multiplies kisses. I want you to hear this loving rebuke from a loving friend. That's the Apostle Paul. You've got to hear it from, a, from, a, from an apostle who loves you and from a pastor who loves you. And this would, this would be for us a turning to the Lord, a turning to the Lord for forgiveness for the lack of love, but it's also turning to the Lord in a hopeful expectation that He isn't done with us and that we are still continuing to grow and we can grow in love and grow in faith and grow in hope and all these things. Would you do that? Would you take these statements and would you press them, press them deep, deep, deep within your heart? And do business with the Lord by His Spirit. And just in case it's not clear. It could get a little weird now, a little awkward when I say this. Brothers and sisters, these I love you, therefore I choose. I love you, therefore I refuse. These statements are for your brothers and sisters that are sitting next to you and behind you, and in front of you. So do a little bit of a weird thing. Have a little look. Have a right. Have a left. Have a look. Okay, there's no one in front of you, Richard. You're lucky. Look this way. Um, (laughs) Yeah, you have to love me. (laughs) This love is, it's for us. It's love for one another. It's love for your boss. It's love for the sheep. It's love for us. It's, it's for the person next to you. It's the person down the row. Have a quick look. It's the person over there. It's the person on the other side of the church. 
It's for, the, it's for the sheep that you know, it's for the sheep you don't know, it's for the sheep you like, and for some of the sheep you don't particularly like at the moment. Oh, I heard that. BBC. Please forgive me, where I have not loved you well. And please forgive me for not forgiving some of you. The thing is, you're going to need to forgive me a lot more. Because love covers a multitude of sins, right? But my heart, BBC, I want you to hear my heart. My heart, because I love you, I choose to be patient and kind with you. This is my commitment. Because I love you, I choose to rejoice in the truth in your life. Because I love you, I choose to protect you. Because I love you, I choose to see the best in you even when you fail. Because I love you, I choose to persevere with you. Because I love you, I refuse to envy you. I refuse to be boastful and proud over you. Because I love you, I refuse to be rude. Because I love you, I refuse to be self-seeking. And because I love you, I refuse, I refuse to be easily angered and hold your sin against you if you've hurt me. Would that be my commitment to you? Would that be our commitment to one another? Paul says in 1 Corinthians 16, 14, he says, do everything in love. Do everything in love. And the very last verse of the chapter, 1 Corinthians 13, 13, these three things remain, right? Faith, hope, and, but the greatest, I'm going to ask the music team to join me up front. I'm going to, we're going to sing, and then I'm going to give you a couple of next steps as we continue our fellowship together.